Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. We're going to continue in our series, and we've been looking, we started last week looking at Luke chapter 15 uh, about the story that most people know as the prodigal son. And one of the things that we looked at, though, in that scripture is that the Bible itself, scripture itself, never refers to this younger son as a prodigal. The only thing that he ever refers to him as is a son. And uh, even, you know, he walked away and all these different things. And so we looked at that. But not only that, that we, we looked at, but we, we also learned that this story isn't just about one. I think sometimes we get laser focused in and we focus on the negative. So out of these two sons that this father has, the majority of messages that have been preached out of Luke 15 have been on the sinful one, the heathen, the one who went out and drinking and partying and, and, and had prostitutes and all these things. And we focus on the negative side of it. But when Jesus told this story, he didn't say, I'm going to tell you a story about a man who had a son and he was a prodigal and he was, he was wild and all of those things. He, he doesn't say that at all. When he starts it in Luke 15, verse 11, he says, he said there was a man who had two sons. And so this story isn't just about the one that we know as the prodigal son, but this story is really about both sons. And there's things that God uh, and Jesus was wanting to teach through uh, both of these sons. Last week, I uh, made the statement that, uh, that I heard uh, that, that this, this story isn't about uh, one son, it's about two sons. One who didn't know that he needed a father, and that was the younger son who thought he could do life on his own. All he needed was what, God, or what the, the father would give him, and that was the only thing that he thought the father was good for. But the other son we're going to look at today, and this is the son who didn't realize that he had a father. You know, and so the, we're going to look at this because sometimes, and, and when you look at this, honestly, this story, we're going to find out that sometimes we can be the older son and sometimes we can be the younger son. That there's certain seasons in our life and mindsets that we have that we can even see ourselves in this. And I think that this is why Jesus told this story, because if you look at the original context that Jesus is telling uh, the stories that he tells in Luke 15, remember Luke 15 isn't just one story, there's actually three stories that are there, but look at the context, Luke 15, 1, it says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners, they were coming to Jesus and they were listening to him. But this didn't sit well with the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees. It says that the Pharisees and the scribes, they begin to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. So Jesus' response, these stories were Jesus' response to the, I can't believe that he would eat with these people. They're sinners, they're heathens, they're tax collectors, they're evil. It, you know, that mentality. Because honestly, guys, if we're honest, a lot of times we grew up in churches where there was this kind of mentality. 
You got to come out from among the world and be separate. Don't get near them evil sinner people. It'll rub off on you and you'll get their sin cooties and, and it's going to make you a sinner and, and all this stuff. And really, what was that? That was the thing that Jesus is getting ready to preach against. And the reason why the Pharisees were upset was not only because he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, but he had just taught about going into the highways and he taught about this banquet that he was inviting everybody to in Luke 14. And he, and he told them to go invite people. And they said, we've gone and invited everybody, but nobody will come because they're busy with other things. And he said, well, go invite the wicked and the, the, the lame and the blind and all of them. Go invite because, uh, you know, go com- into the highways and hedges and compel them to come. And the Pharisees didn't like that he was with them or that he was even saying that these sinners or these people who people viewed as defective would be able to be able to come in. And so this series of stories that Jesus goes into, the first story was the story of the lost sheep. And we can kind of see a pattern here. Now, anytime you read scripture, if you see something that is repeated more than once, then it brings emphasis to it. You, you see scriptures where it says like, verily, verily, I say unto you, or, you know, that type of thing. You know, it's saying the word twice, which means this is an important thing. This is, this is bringing emphasis to it. But then there's another level of emphasis that's brought in Scripture, and that's when you see something repeated three times. And there are very few things that are repeated three times. One example of that is in Isaiah chapter 6, when you see the angels that are circling around the throne room of God. What do they say? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So you see the, the three times that it was repeated, which means this is like drawing extra emphasis to the holiness of God. And when Jesus tells these three stories, although they're slightly different, he's basically telling the same story three times. The first one is the story of the the man who had a hundred sheep. One of the sheep wandered away. What did he do? He went, he found the one sheep. He brought it back to where the, the, hunt, the other 99 were there. And then he called for people to come and celebrate because the lost sheep was found. The next story was about a, a little woman who lost a coin. And, and, and she had 10 coins. She lost one. She swept her house. She looked everywhere. She finds the lost coin. And what does she do? She invites, she spends that coin on some food and stuff, invites the friends over for a party, and they celebrate the coin that was lost. We talked about last week how when this prodigal son or this younger son came back to the father, the father received him back as a son, and then what did he do? He threw a party. So you see three times, three stories, where the father or the owner When something is lost, they don't stay put. They go and find it. And then when they find it, that there is a major celebration in the house because of this. And so we see this this emphasis. And so Jesus is trying to teach these these Pharisees some things. And, And one of the things that he does in the particular story that we've been looking at with the prodigal son is he shows the love of the father. That when this son who had foolishly, I mean, he had disrespected his father, disgraced his father by asking for his inheritance. He goes and he spends it on all this worldly living and, and, and prostitutes and drugs and all this stuff. 
And when he comes back, remember the son said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. And, uh, you know, if I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore, but if you'll let me be one of your servants, then we'll do that. But the father didn't even let him get his speech out of his mouth. And he puts his robe on him, puts a ring on his finger and everything, and restores him to the level of sonship. But the other thing that he does is he begins to show the Pharisees who they are in this story. And we're going to look at that in the older brother. Luke chapter 15, we're going to pick up right after uh, the sons come home. There's a celebration, verse 25. It says, now the older son who was out working in the field, he came in and he approached the house. He heard the music and he heard the dancing. Now, I don't know how you hear dancing unless it's like line dancing, tap dancing, something like that. You know, it's kind of making some noise. But he heard there was a party going on and, and he said he summoned one of the servants and he began to inquire about these things. And he said, Uh, They said to him, your brother has come home and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received back him safe and sound. And so here the father has received him in. He's excited. He's throwing a party. The servants are party. Like, I mean, there's this big celebration of the son. But now you begin to see the older son's response. And it says he was angry. And he was not willing to go in. I am not going near that heathen. I am not going to go in and celebrate nothing with him. He's a sinner. Which, wait a minute, what was Luke 15, 1? The Pharisees were mad. They weren't going, they didn't want to go near Jesus. Why? Because there were sinners there. They were angry. You see how he's showing them who they are in this story? And it says the father came out and he began to plead with him. And, and, and he answered his father. So the father comes out and he's begging him, please, just come on in. Your, your brother was gone. Let's, let's celebrate. And it says he answered and said to his father, look, for these many years I've been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours. And you have never given me a goat that I may uh, celebrate with my friends. Here I am, I've done everything right, and no party. But when this son of yours, come on, how many of your parents, when your kid gets in trouble, that, your boy, your boy went and did that. Now, when they do something right, that's my son, that's my boy, yeah, you know, but... So he's distancing himself. He, he's, I'm not even related to him. Because he's a sinner and I am spiritual. I, I've done all the right things. I've obeyed every command. Do you know how many times like that type of phraseology and stuff appears when he's talking to Pharisees? Think about this, the, the rich young ruler. He comes and asks Jesus, you know, what must I do to be saved? And he tells him, you know, to, to, to love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and strength and obey the commandments and all these things. And, and, and the, the, uh, says, the uh, rich young ruler looks at him and says, I've done all these things since childhood. Now what? Like, I'm good. Think about this, this story of the, the Pharisee and the, the, man, the, the man is at the altar praying and he, he said, I'm unworthy and he, he's just, he, he feels so sorrowful for all of his sin and everything like that. Well, what did the Pharisees pray? God, I thank you I'm not a heathen like that man. 
See, the Pharisees had this indication and this, this mindset of if I do all the right things, then I will have status, I will have favor with God, I have arrived and I cannot be around anything less. And honestly, the mindset has crept into the church a lot. Because so many of us, we view our relationship with God that if I do all the right things, then God will be pleased with me. But if I even make a mistake, now I'm the younger son, and I have to come in with my head hanging, God, I've sinned, and if you just please would just let me be a servant. I mean, be honest, how many of you, like, you're doing well with God. You're, you're not losing your temper. You're not looking at pornography. You're not drinking. You're not using drugs. You're not gossiping. You're not all of those things. And, and so like you start feeling good about yourself and your level of righteousness and holiness and what you've been able to do and accomplish and everything. And then the one mistake you make and you, you don't even go to church for six months. Because the devil's got you convinced you can't go back. You're not a son. You can't go to the father's house. You got to stay in the pig pen. You see, both of these sons, they believed lies. And it wasn't just that one didn't need the father. The, the, the younger son believed that he was too far gone and there's no way that I'll ever be able to be restored in my father's house. The older son believed that the father was being cruel and misusing his thing. Like, how are you going to bless him when you haven't blessed me? Like, there have been seasons in my life where I have been both sons. There have been seasons where I've been struggling with sin. I know I'm struggling with sin, and I don't even want to ask God for anything. I don't even feel like I can raise my hands in worship. I don't feel like I can get into the Word. Like, I mean, it's just a struggle. Anybody ever been there before? And then there have been seasons where I feel like I am doing really well and something goes wrong in my life and I'm like, why, God? Like, I can understand if you would go do that in Aaron's life because he's a heathen. <laughs> but why are you allowing this to happen in my life? I remember when Zia was sick and in the hospital and there were many times like, we think she's not going to make it. She's going to die. We get all these negative reports and everything like that. And I'm like, God, do you not understand? Like, we live in Walker, which none of y'all know where that is probably, and drive to Donaldsonville, which is an hour away for church service. We're there for three services on Sunday. We're there for, like, we, uh, all my list of things. We actually were helping with two campuses in between Santa Maria and Donaldsonville. So we're leading worship. We're doing leadership. We're, we're on the, the, uh, doing the leadership team's men ministry, all this stuff. I'm working in a halfway house for men with drug addiction. I, I'm going on Wednesday night to two services, staying until 10 o'clock, driving an hour, because we had worship practice after driving an hour home, getting up at 5 o'clock the next morning, teach Bible studies and everything. Like, I'm like... God, why, like, go mess with somebody who isn't doing so much with you. I'm at your work. Which is exactly what the father said. The, the son said, the older son, he's like, I've been in the field this whole time serving you. I've been listening to everything you say. Now, why, why don't I even have a goat? You, you, you haven't given me anything. But can I tell you something? That was a lie. 
Because earlier in the story, we read this last week, but we'll go back to it in chapter 15, verse 12. It says, the younger son came and he asked for his inheritance of the estate. And he came to him and it says that the father divided his wealth between them. In other words, he gave the younger son what was his. He gave the older son what was his. And by the way, what he gave the older son would have been double what he gave the younger son. Because he gets a double portion. So not only had he been given something, he had even been given twice as much as what the younger son had been given. And he's still complaining, you ain't done nothing for me. What are you talking about? All this land, all these animals, all this farm, this wealth, this stuff. It used to be the father's and he already gave it to you as your inheritance. And there's so many times when we, the enemy will come and lie to us to get us to have a wrong view of who the father is to try to cause distance in between us. And here this older son this older son didn't even realize the relationship that he had, that he had a father. Instead, he lived the life not as a son, but he lived as a servant. I mean, look at the words that he said when he, when he was talking to his father. Pull it back up in verse 29. It says, look these many years, I have been what? Serving you. I've done everything you asked. I never neglected one command of yours. Here I am. I've done everything right. I've served you. I've listened to you. I've obeyed you. In other words, he's viewing his relationship with the Father through the lens of, I've done more than everybody else. Look at what I've done for you. So many times, people in the church world today, when they serve, they act like they've done God a favor. It's like, look, I worked the nursery today, and there were a bunch of crazy babies in there today. We had baby dedication today, which means it was extra packed. And they were all dressed up in their nicest clothes. And I'm afraid that, uh, you know, I made sure they didn't get all the snacks all over their new dresses and everything so they could have nice pictures afterward. God, I did everything right. So now that I have served in nursery on a baby dedication day, like, that should be worth at least like a new car or something, right, God? I mean, let me just pick out what prayer I want to answer today because I have served God enough to earn the answer to. Whew. But I believe it's in Galatians 4. Remember the passage that we looked at when it was talking about how uh, we can cry out to God as Abba, Father? I'm almost sure. It's either Romans 4 or Galatians 4 where it talks about Abraham who, sa who said that the things that he was given were gifts. Like, if it, if it hadn't been a gift, it, if it was something that he earned, it would have been his wages, not a gift. You see, if we only determine our level of, uh, of how much we think God is going to answer our prayers on what we've done, then we're not asking for a gift for God to move. We're just asking for wages for something we felt like we were owed. 
And then the thing he's so offended of is, this son of yours. He was with prostitutes. He drank alcohol. Can you believe it, Pastor Q? He was probably even drunk. That's bad. What's he showing? He's showing that his relationship was complete. The way he viewed his relationship with God is this is based on performance. If I perform right, then we're good. If I don't perform right, then we don't deserve anything. And this was the mentality that Jesus was attacking with the Pharisees. Because they felt like we, we deserve to be in the presence of this rabbi and hear his stories. But these people don't. And the thing that's so sad about it is here's the older son who has already been given his inheritance and he looks at the work that he does, which, remember, this is now on his field, his animals, his farm, his vineyard, whatever it was. He looks at it with contempt because it's like, I have been doing all of this, and you've given me nothing. Like, if anybody deserves a party, it's me. Not him. And he was so busy trying to work for the Father that he never walked in the inheritance that had already been given him. And that's where many people are in the church today. They're trying to work, to work, to work. That's why so many people are like, well, I can't, I can't come back to church. I, I messed up. I'm still struggling. But once I get things together, then I'll be back there. You need to be back here in your mess. <laughs> the son didn't wait. Younger son didn't wait until he could get all cleaned up, go find a better job, feel like he was doing better, kind of break the addiction and thing that was going on in his life, and then come back to the father and say, no, he realized this life stinks. And even the servants have more than enough. I'm not staying here. I got to get back to the father. You see, the older son viewed the father as a master and not a father. So with a master, the best you're going to be is a servant. But God doesn't call. And that's why Jesus said that uh, Romans says that whom he foreknew, he also predestined that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. He's saying that the point is to bring you into the brotherhood, the family of God. That's why even before he writes that in Romans chapter 8, around 14 or 15, he says those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons and daughters of God. And if they are sons and daughters of God, then they are joint heirs or co-heirs with Jesus. It was not the father's fault that the son didn't take advantage of what he had already given him. And I believe there are so many people who walk in the church world today who are upset and even angry at God sometimes because they feel like God has been unjust and unfair 
And it's really that they just haven't understood what God's already paid the price for for them to walk in. Why do I have to struggle so much not to sin? You don't have to struggle not to sin. Because Jesus paid the price for all your sins. He gave you forgiveness. But he also offers this thing called grace that a lot of times we use as a cover-up for sin. But when you look up the Greek word there, charis, it actually means a supernatural empowerment from God to walk out a godly lifestyle. He gave us an open door to come before the throne of grace anytime that we need. In Romans, or Hebrews chapter 4, he says, listen, since we have a high priest who, ha- who has uh, been tempted in every area with us, he has sympathy toward us, and that, that we can come boldly or we can come confidently before the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in our time of need. I believe there's still a lot of people who are just trying to make it through on their own. Whatever I can do, like the the two words we talk about all the time, Pastor Q, I'm good. How you doing today? Oh, I'm good. You know what that's code for? I'm a mess, but I ain't telling you. My marriage is struggling. We were yelling at each other all the way to the, uh, through the parking lot. And then we stopped right there because we know they had parking people out in the thing. We cleared it up. We even had to pull off the road by the pond for a minute there. Put on our smile. Hallelujah, brother. Things are great. I am too blessed to be stressed and depressed like... I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And we come in here and you're addicted to porn. You've got unforgiveness in your heart. There's jealousy. I don't know why they have that. I think I should have that. I've done more than them. There's no way they deserve that. Oh, none of y'all have ever had things like that? Y'all never had bad days when y'all come in here and put on the little face? Raise the hands a little bit? Like we know how to play church. You might even be the one who jumps up 10 seconds before and starts to clap. I'm good. I'm doing the thing. I'm clapping. Woo! Might even let out a shout in here. And then you leave here and you continue a shout, but it's not a holy shout anymore. It's a shout at everybody else about everything they've done wrong. I'm getting a couple more people realizing, hey, wait, that's me. A few more halos falling off and going to the side. When Christ paid the price for it all. He didn't just pay the price for your sins, but he paid the price for those people who sinned against you. So why are you holding unforgiveness toward them? In the words of Elsa, let it go. (laughs) Y'all wanted me to sing it, huh? Can 
Can I tell you something? And this may sound insensitive. Nobody owes you an apology. No matter what you've done for God in the past, before, He doesn't owe you anything. But yet He chooses to give it to you. See, this older son kept thinking, I'm owed something. I'm owed at least a young goat so I can party with my friends. But look at what the father's response was in verse 31. The father said to him, you have always been here with me. And all that is mine, it's yours. I've already done it all. I've already given it all. It's, it's available to you. You don't have to battle depression and suicidal thoughts. I bore your grief and I bore your sorrow at the cross. So that you could take up the mind of Christ and have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control in your life. Well, pastor, I'm just not a patient person. God knows that. And that's why he offers you the Holy Spirit. That when you get saved, if you invite God into your life, he'll give you the Spirit of God. And one of the evidences of the Spirit of God being in your life is that you can love people. That you have peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. You have everything you need to defeat any battle that you are facing today. It is your inheritance as a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. If you have been saved, then you are free. If you have been saved, then you are healed. If you are saved, you can forgive. If you are saved, then you can be patient. If you are saved, then you have self-control and you don't have to be dominated by sin. The inheritance has already been given to you. That's why Jesus didn't wait for the father to die in the story to give the older son the inheritance. He said, you know what? I'll give you both the inheritance. Because this was so foreign to what was cultural. The only way that a son would even be able to get the double portion of the inheritance is to bury his father and then he could get the double portion of the inheritance. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, not this father. This father gives you the full inheritance now. This father doesn't wait to where you can't enjoy the relationship with the father and the inheritance. (laughs) He gives you the inheritance while you can still enjoy the embrace of the father and celebrate with the father. And he welcomes you in. And that's what he says. Everything I've had is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother who is dead has begun to live. And what was lost has now been found. I think there's three mindsets that we got to break of the older son for us to be able to enter into the type of relationship that God truly wants for us. I'll give them to you real quick. Number one, we must stop trying to earn God's love. We gotta remember Romans 5 8 says that while we were helpless and stuck in our sin. Pastor Brandon, you quote that 
that's that passage all the time. I will continue to quote that passage all the time. Why? Because there's so many people that have believed that God doesn't love them where they are because of what's in their life. And he says, no matter how helpless and stuck, whatever condition you are in right now, God loved you and sent his son to demonstrate that love towards you. He didn't, he didn't just give you an empty, I love you. See, we overuse that word too much. You teenagers, y'all overuse that word way too much because y'all don't know what love is. I'm, I'm just being honest. That's not old man talk. That's real talk. Because love has to be tested. Lo love, love goes through some things and it bears all, it hopes all, it endures all. It doesn't keep records of wrong. It's not an emotion. It's a gift that God gives us. And it's a gift that He wants us to give to others. Because if we only view God's love through the lens of that little teenage, little kid love, like, I love Johnny, and then the line through it, Stephen, and the line through it, Mark, and the line through it, now it's Johnny again. That's the way we think God's love is. Uh, that's not God's love. God's love is given even when you don't return it. So I says, <laughs> the only reason why we can love him it's because he first loved us. We need to walk in the love of God. The second thing is we must realize that the inheritance has already been given to us. <laughs> that when he paid the price, he gave it all to you in full. No future payments necessary. It's not like, you know, in, in the world today, you got renters and you got homeowners. But really, the people who are homeowners, the bank owns their home because if they don't make another payment, they're going to get kicked out and evicted and all that stuff. God isn't like your mortgage company. Because his son paid the price in full and he doesn't require any payment from you. All he asks is, will you accept it? Will you walk in it? I, I've given it all. Here's my word to teach you how to walk in it. How to live this thing out. But the same way he loved the younger son, even when the son was a mess and far from the father's house. I'm telling you, the fact that you're in the father's house and desire a relationship with him, like, he loves you. Like, he... If he loves the one outside, then, I mean, at least you're in the right place. Third thing is this. Is we've got to begin to rejoice when what was lost returns home. I think there's a little subtext in there too that we do our part 
to help find what was lost and bring it home. Because we realize that this kingdom that God is calling us into. I think so many people, because their view of heaven is wrong, their view of God, the relationship that God has is wrong. So a lot of people believe that when we get to heaven, that God's going to be sitting up on a throne and Jesus will be sitting up on a throne and we'll all just be down at his feet and all we're allowed to do night and day is worship and that's all we're going to be able to do. But God calls us to rule and to reign with him. Even in Ephesians, Paul says, you have already been seated in heavenly places with God. It's not the king up here and all the servants down here. Because if we have that view of heaven, then that's the view we'll have on earth with the relationship that we have. We're just the servants. We just bow. But if we understand that he wants to be our father, then we realize he's prepared a place for us right by him. That's what even Jesus said to his disciples. I prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. Like he wasn't just talking about vicinity wise. Like, yeah, you'll be in heaven, but you're going to be way far, far away. He's inviting you to the table, to his presence. That's the father that we serve. That's the love that he offers. That's the relationship that he wants with each and every one of us. I want you to bow your heads for just a second. I just want you to take a second and just ask God, God, what are you speaking to me today? For some of you, it's you've been trying to earn God's approval. And he's just saying, I don't want you for what you can do for me. I want relationship for you for who you are. You're my creation. You're my son. You're my daughter. For some of you, you know you relate in this season right now more to the younger son because you feel like you're far from where you need to be. And God is just saying, (laughs) the minute you step toward him, just like the father ran and embraced him and wrapped him in his robe, you take a step toward me and I'll wrap you in my robe of righteousness. Some of you that's stuck in your sin and feel far from God, trying to be righteous and everything in your own strength. You don't have to fight that battle because Christ already defeated that for you. Don't view your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father. Because no matter how great of an earthly father you had, 
he still fails in comparison to how great our Heavenly Father is. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.